Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Hello and welcome to Been There Done That on Joy 94.9. I'm Chris. I'm Gordon. And that must make me feel. It does. Well, oh, good. What, what does it make you feel? I feel glasses with milk. <laughs> very good. <laughs> That's very impromptu. Well, when you're called Phil, <laughs> you've got to have one up your sleeve. <laughs> it's like tall people. I wouldn't have a glass of milk up my sleeve, it'd get all wet. Well, you can put a lid on it. Oh, okay. In fact, I suggest right now you put a lid on it. <laughs> you got a ring on it. <laughs> no, it's not that good. No, you're with Gordon, Phil and Chris. Been there, done that on Joy 94.9. Thanks for being with us. We've had a little a glass of giggle water and I'm not sure how long it's going to last, but let's hope it lasts to the end of the show. Well, it's been a happy week. It has been a very happy week in our gay history. Uh, we will look back on it in a few years' time and think, I was there when that all happened. I think people will look back at in a few years' time and think, what the hell was the matter? Why didn't we have this before? Why didn't the sky fall? Yeah, well, it, it hasn't <laughs> fallen anywhere else, so I guess it's not going to fall here in Australia. Oh, it could. It could, of course, <laughs> yes, because we've got some people there that believe it will. We're talking about the yes vote, oh, of yes, course, yes, and it yes. was, as a topic, it was very precise, wasn't it? It was a, a yes or a no. It was a, The uh, outcome was digital. It was. It I, was. It was a concept. I, I wonder if that's why a lot of the current generation actually decided that the decision was quite simple enough to have either a yes or a no vote, and that's why they, in the last few weeks, uh, joined the electoral roll. Well, there was something like about 90,000 young people between the ages of 18 and 24 or something joined the electoral roll wow. in, that, in the last week before they had to enrol. Mm. It augurs well for the future that young people may start to take a notice of what is going on in this country and rather than just drift along and think nothing's happening because it, it's there, those sort of people that are going to need to do it. The yep. interesting point there is that before this decision was made to have the postal vote, 16-year-olds were asking, why can't we vote? Because it was not an election, it was a survey. Yeah, that's right. And they, they wanted to vote. They, they had something to say. Mm. So and I suppose modern technology has given them an opportunity to express an opinion. On, well, they're, they're on, used to saying things, aren't they? Uh, on Twitter yeah. and well, uh, right. Facebook and things mm. like this. Mm. So they're, they're interactive to that extent. And this was a, a way of introducing them to the political system. And by the time you become a 16-year-old, you roughly know whether, what your sexuality is. You may not like the way you, you are. But you really know. You would know whether you were thinking towards being a, a, a gay guy or a gay girl mm. and or whatever. And 
it's they have it already in their brain. So, uh, oh, and it's, if you're talking specifically about sexuality, the, and that's gender, right. By but sixteen I'm year old, about the general concept of being involved with your politicians and the government of the country and of your actual local suburb as well. Well, that's right. But, but the teenagers have a good sense of fairness and justice too. Well, you would and hope that, that they do. Yeah, well, they've, they're now grown up enough to, to realise those things. Mm. And it must have been, I, I would imagine for a, a straight-thinking person, I hope that they were somewhat concerned that the gay people did not have equal rights. Uh, that's basically that's, that's what a it was big about. hope. Well, that's why the no vote didn't get off the ground particularly well, because they couldn't focus on the equality side of things. So they are doing yes, everything they, else. They are muddying the waters. Yeah, it was a very weird campaign because there was only one side. Yeah, but the but it was very interesting. I was watching the um, uh, Tim Wilson, my local member, on the television, and he was saying that what the no vote forgot about was the fact that. I have a mother and a father who know I'm gay and they know my partner. I've got aunts and uncles who know I'm gay and you've got all this extended family going out. Mind you, some families, members of families would have voted no, but he said that the, the no vote forgot all about the fa- the extended way the yeah. whole thing went and that's how it worked. The, the, the allies. The allies, yes. Mm. yes. It wasn't just the only gay in the village voting. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, well, yeah. I think we got over that little hurdle about seven or eight years ago in the gay community, we started to realise that there was another 60, 70 or 80 percent of the population who didn't really mind us at all. And there was only a smaller minority that didn't well, want us. It, it, it would be purely religious people that have been brought up with strict religions or mm. were strictly religious themselves, the way they felt about things. You know. And wasn't that interesting that the, so many of the Labour electorates where the newcomers are located at the moment mm. were the ones that still were reluctant to come along with the, re- the yes vote. I read a very interesting article when you mentioned this about the people from the western suburbs of Sydney and, and the western districts of Melbourne. The, as somebody wrote out, it wasn't the Muslims uh, who they were talking about this. It wasn't the Muslims that said we were not going to have a um, thing in the parliament anyhow. He said there's no, there were no Muslims in parliament when Mr Howard changed the law. There were no Muslims in parliament that did it. And they went right through all the steps and they said it was only natural that the, the, the uh, people with that, that religious conviction would vote no because it's against their teachings. Although I did see the gay uh, Muslim on the, on the ABC on the Wednesday mm-hmm. night. He was, he was there and he was talking. He was an imam. Yeah. And he uh, he was very interesting. So there are gay Muslims around. We know them because I've, I've known a few as well. Well, there are support organisations right. for gay yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Muslims. Muslim yeah, people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but like most, most of those sort of religions, it's okay. Uh, you, you, you must be married, yeah. but you can have a boyfriend on the side. You know? Well. That, that doesn't complicate things, does it? No, it doesn't really. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also interesting on the weekend last with the Northcote election, and that might be indicating a change in the direction of politics in the state level. That, in fact, the Libs seem to have abandoned uh, any intention to, to um, run a, run a campaign mm-hmm. and let... The, the Labor and the Greens fight it out amongst them. But, but of course, what they... And, and I think a few of the other uh, sub-electorates are thinking of 
well, they, they, happen the same they, way. They're talking about Richmond and Brunswick and uh, and a few of the other, uh, uh, Peran and all. The, well, they already have Peran. The mm. the Greens already have Peran, but the Liberals say they might try to get Peran back. Yeah, but that's I, I don't know. But the thing is that I feel that some of the the, the um, main parties have lost their way. Yeah, they're not they're not. Go, they're not talking to their constituents mm. like the Greens have built up a, a, a power base from local councils and local things like that and now they're getting bigger and bigger and better and better at fighting these things yeah. and the main parties are going to have to rethink the way they do things. Well, I can imagine that Labor and Greens will have a coalition well, it would work. and that would freeze out the Liberals. Yes, it would in, in, in sort of Local those, government. In the, in the government. It would keep, freeze them out for a long, long time. Mm. Are you saying in a sense they don't know their constituents or they don't talk to them? They don't. Is it they suggest they that if you want to buy a house, stop eating smashed avocados? Something like that, yeah. So that's somebody who's clearly not in touch but, with anything much. Yeah. But you're right. It's, it's that they're being in touch. You've got to get back to the main your main uh, reason why you were started, why 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 the the Labor or the Liberal Party was started, they've got to get back to that and stop all this inter inter ra- inter, inter party infighting. wrangling and infighting yeah. and all this. People don't want that. They want a government that can give them policies about what they think we should be happening to the country, and put it to the people so that they can vote. It and just plan beyond one term of government. You've got to have. You've got to be able to plan, mm. say, ten years ahead to what's mm. going to happen. You don't want to be just going from from election to election every three years with with nothing being done because they only ever do anything in the second year of be, uh, when they're in power because the first year they blame the government that was in there before except for themselves. Oh. Then they do something for the next year, and then the following year they're too busy getting ready to be re- have another election. We don't have our our electoral timetable we should be fixed four years so that they have an idea of what they can do perhaps if they actually listen to the voters but you've got to be careful you've got to be careful you might end up with a whole mess of things that you didn't really want well that's that's what you do it, it doesn't matter you've yeah you, but you, we can say that because we're on the winning side this time oh around. that's only because the yes uh, vote but then they that should never have happened anyhow because the the yes vote only turned out to be what the polls have been saying for years 60 40 like hello, you know, 120 million down the gurgler, or <laughs> no, 100, 100. 100 million. Yeah, but what are they going to use the extra 20 millions they set yes. aside for? Perhaps the mental health of the young people that were marginalised during or the debate. Political pensions. Oh, political pensions. Yes, <laughs> I forgot about that. Mm. Uh, now look, stay tuned because there is more on the show. But we've done our little bit on the political side of things. Uh, we'll be talking a little. Uh, s- in a wee while, uh, Freddie Mercury will be talking about the imperialism of the our world history. in our general history and where is it leading us to. Uh, we'll be talking about a couple of uh, events that happened in Australia. And, oh, yes, we might even play a little bit of music that's in between. <laughs> Here's Freddie Mercury, crazy little thing called love. And that's well, what we've Queen, really. And that's Queen. what we've been talking about, we love. Have. Yes, it's a crazy little thing called love. Thing, 
You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station Joy 94.9. You're with Gordon, Chris and Phil. Been there, done that on Joy 94.9. That was a little bit of Freddie Mercury, one of his quieter uh, and earlier songs. That was not supposed to have been a hit, but it was. Why? Yeah, What's I, the background I don't know. I, I don't know. I was, I was reading all about Freddie on the train coming in this morning, and um, it was just one of those things that they threw in and wrote oh, it I, as a as a as a, a filler. It was a. It was like a. It's like a, a bit of a country song. You know, mm-hmm. it's got a country theme to it, and they just thought they would do something different, and it turned out to be a hit. Yeah. Well, wasn't he in fact a, a musical genius? Well, he, he had. Not, a f- not sure how you'd really describe him. He was an icon of his generation. Well, he had a four octave range voice, which was brought to bear in one of the records where they overdubbed his voice so that he was you could hear all the the, the ranges that his voice was had. Yeah. And he was he was taught piano when he was at school in India, because uh, he was born in in a Zanzibar, and then his parents went to India apparently over some work, I would say, mm. and, and then, he, then they finished up in England where he went to the uh, Bohemian Arts School or something rather. He was a very brilliant pianist. But he also, I think people have a time. It's like Elton John had a time when he couldn't write a song that wasn't a hit. Yeah. And Freddie Mercury, especially with Bohemian Rhapsody, that was all in his head. The hardest thing to do was to get it onto tape. Yeah. To actually hear back what he's hearing internally hmm. and that's i guess that's musical genius yeah because you've got that stuff in you it doesn't well you that must almost be born with it well you could that that could be related back to beethoven who couldn't hear anything he wrote but he had hmm. it all in his head and he, he knew what the sound was going to be when he wrote it down so freddie might have been exactly the same sort of person although he wasn't deaf he had everything in his head and he knew how it had to come out well, I'm sure that's how all composers are, Probably and the are. same with yeah. you as an artist. Yeah. You know, in your mind, which what colour's going to go where? Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. But it's good to have friends in high places. Why? Because Bohemian Rhapsody was never going to be heard on radio. It's too long. Yes, it's a very long track. Yeah. And oh, you mean the, the three minute thirty seconds is the standard that's size? That's the law, song. and this broke yes. the law by factors. Oh, but um, I, for the life of me, can't think of his name. The DJ who Video Killed the Radio Star was written about, heard Bohemian Rhapsody and played it 12 times end-to-end on air. <laughs> on air. <laughs> and people just fell in love with it. Well, it, it's an absolutely brilliant piece of music when it you is. listen to it. It is just beautiful. Very clever. Very clever stuff. Yeah. But he was, a, as I say, he was a very clever man. He was, a, he was, a, he was never out totally and utterly he called himself a bisexual of course yeah but, but he, he was flamboyant and i think that's a big clue on oh, the way he acted was yeah, was because a, he had his onstage persona and then he had his private life his alter ego but he, and sometimes one is more dominant than the other well the, the most dominant one was his stage presence because he was very very quiet when he was off yeah, stage he could be quite shy yeah a very shy man actually and it he he, he didn't he only told people that he was had the AIDS virus and what have you the day before he died? That everybody knew he was sick and physically the, obvious. Physically obvious, and the band members were aware that he was not well mm. because they they did a uh, uh, they made another uh, LP and he never toured with it because he he didn't want to yeah. for the people to see him as a as a sick man. But as his best, 
or at his best. You could see him command a crowd at Wembley. There might be 80,000 people there, and he's got them in his fingers. Well, he and, Elton, he and Elton John did a, 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 a live aid um, mm. concert for raising money for uh, Bob Geldof won that Live Aid oh, okay. concert and he went on there we and he the sang well, um, they had to teach kids in Africa that it was Christmas that's right yeah. Yeah. but it was just a but when he went on he he sang about 12 songs or something or other and just had the crowd right where he, they just were absolutely with uh, Freddie Mercury doing that whole yeah. thing and his voice just matched his music yeah, yeah. just so perfectly yeah there were 72,000 people or something or other at that, that concert in the in the Wembley Stadium, and then then he and Elton decided that they would do concerts for raising money for AIDS research, mm. and they raised millions of dollars in concerts mm. um, for the AIDS research, which was wonderful. Well, having seen Elton in concert, it's unforgettable. Yeah, never got to see Queen, but I was one of eighty thousand people at a Paul McCartney concert in Berkeley, in California, and talk about owning the crowd. The only problem in that, and it's not related to Freddie Mercury, but the younger members of the audience were singing a song called Hey Dude. All oh, right. <laughs> not Hey Jude. Hey Jude. I thought was a bit disturbing. Yes. <laughs> Freddie was uh, the first, I believe, of the major pop stars to have actually died of AIDS. He was, And yes. uh, yep. I think much as film stars have their presence on TV and the screen... Freddie's position in the music industry and connections to the generations, and it was not just the pop generation mm, that mm. he was connected with, enabled them to appreciate the devastation that AIDS was causing to our population, but then they realised, oh, it impinges on our population you as well. You put a public name and face on it. Yeah, but, mm. but, but also they didn't see the devastation that it act, actually had happened to Freddie Mercury, not like Rock Hudson, who no. was shown in the, the where, where that devastation that, that happens to the body with that disease. Unrecognisable. Yeah, and recognisable. But they, Freddie Mercury, um, it, as I said before, it was the day before he died, he came out to the fact that he was he was a, an AIDS carrier. Mm. Yeah. And he died the next day. But it was pretty well assumed before that. But the, the funny part about it is that as, as he, uh, there's a, an article, in, a notice in the article that we read that he has become more famous since his death and more up there with the best. You know, they're still calling, he's 18th or something rather and the world's greatest singers in one list and he's... He's, he's second only to somebody else as the world's greatest rock mm. singer, you know, and and that's only since he's passed away. Mm. Every time they have a one of these um, polls to say who do you think, Freddie is always up the top. Yeah. Oddly enough, he's not in the the posthumous earners list. Mm. I guess because Queen technically still exists as a, an entity, mm. but you've got your Michael Jacksons. And those people making more money now than they made when they were alive. That's right. They're probably spending a lot less too. So yeah, well, they accumulate, where, where they've gone, they can't spend it. Yeah, but I tell you what, their estates are having a ball. <laughs> Possibly so. <laughs> yeah. now, well, Elizabeth Taylor is quoted of talking about Freddie Mercury as an extraordinary rock star who rushed across our cultural landscape like a comet shooting across the sky. Mm. Well, you could almost say that with Michael Jackson as well. And their lives were sadly cut short 
but perhaps it was the way of life, it was karma, that mm. in fact mm. we, we wouldn't appreciate them if in fact they were still with us at the moment. They, oh, they might know. fade and you think, oh, mm. that old but I, I music don't, I don't musician. think Freddie would have ever faded because he had that talent. Yeah. You know, he, well, he, he had the musical talent too. If he, if he stopped performing, he would have been writing songs for other people. You know, I don't think he would have ever given up But the there's music. a life to talent. And I'm, I'm reasonably confident they won't hear this, but Elton John has passed his peak. Hmm. He, he had hmm. his 1970s and he couldn't write a bad song. Paul McCartney had the 60s. And he's still trying. He's still recording albums. Hmm. Just nobody's buying them. Yeah, but so and Elton John is still doing live performances, which is I, I yeah, guess Elton's, what he's doing. He's now. also gone into musicals and things, That's so right. he's, yeah. he's diversified. Yeah, but um, yeah, they do peak. Yeah. So I think Freddie. Well, unfortunately, he's going to be remembered because he died at his peak. Yeah, yeah. And we, we don't think, oh no, here, here he comes with another album. You know, I guess we'd better listen to it once. <laughs> <laughs> So oh, you're a cynic. Oh, well, there's people out there who should have retired years ago. <laughs> you're not wrong. You're with Gordon, Phil and Chris. Been there, done that. Join 94.9. Stay tuned because we're going to be talking imperialism. You're on Joy 94.9. To find out more about Joy 94.9, check out joy.org.au. You're with Phil, Gordon and Chris. Been there, done that. Joy 94.9. Thanks for being with us. Yes. And according to that guy that was just on, we're great. Oh, good. He, the only one he didn't mention was Great Scott. Yes. Oh, Great Scott didn't really succeed, did he? He was a little bit frozen in time. Oh, Scott of the Antarctic. You there, you it, go. It should have been Scott of the Antifreeze. He would have got on better. <laughs> uh, thanks very much to Harriet for your little message. Glad you like the show on at 11 o'clock at night on Tuesdays. Yeah. Sometimes on Wednesday mornings at 5 o'clock if the machinery works yes, well. Yes, sometimes I get uh, up to listen and to it. check out our podcast as well. But if you'd like to connect with the program, how would we do that? You can email beanthere at joy.org.au and you could tell us things like sometimes we're funny and sometimes we're humorous and sometimes we just sound funny. <laughs> but not very humorous. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Let us know. Chris, you were talking about imperialism. Well, what I is, was. What is imperialism? Well, imperialism is the it's a mental concept as much as it's a physical action. It's the, the thought that I'm the king of the castle and I will rule everything that I can see. I am like Nero was in Rome. He was the number one of that total empire. Queen Victoria, she's on the, the TV at the moment, she mm. was boss of all the red bits on the map. That's right. She was the And Empress. that was, you know, 18, uh, one and a half centuries ago. And that's where people were still discovering the physical world that we live in. And you've got to remember, two centuries ago, people used to get around. They were still discovering that the world was round and that there was countries or continents uh, around the corner down in the uncharted areas of well, the world well they actually thought there had to be land down here to balance up the world because all the land seemed to be above the top half of the world and they so they had to have something down that would balance the rest of the world so we wouldn't fly off into outer space now that sounds like something like one of our ex-senators might have said but you know oh. <laughs> so but the average joe wouldn't have traveled far in his lifetime, oh, which is how we get all these little English accents. That's right, yeah. So how do you go from that 
to someone like Lieutenant Cook when he wasn't Captain he Cook. He wasn't Captain Cook at all. Going literally halfway around the world. But well, in fact, they, the, the concept of sailing to another part of the world is not just a recent event. For three, four centuries ago, the world was certainly focused around the Mediterranean and those European countries, mm. and people used to go walk about and they would... They would actually bump into tour. places. They would tour, mm. knowing that across this mountain range there was a great big city of people, not a city as we would know, mm. a big mm. collection of people, and they would communicate. They, the world was not a small place even centuries ago. No, but, but until we got boats that would be able to take you through the storms and come out unscathed the other side, you were restricted to small boats. Therefore, in your local lakes and your seas. And but when, when, when you look at the endeavour that Captain Cook or Lieutenant Cook sailed in, it's not very big. It was not a very big boat to be sailing I'll around tell the you world. What, you would need to be a good sailor and and uh, very short, down. very short, because there was very little headroom down below decks. Uh, very very short. Where did they have the water slide and the pool and the the banquet hall? Oh, they came a bit later. Oh, okay. <laughs> and why was the poop deck called? Well, you've got to go somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. Has it got anything to do with seagulls? Probably. <laughs> Just sit at the top and poop on the deck. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, 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 uh, the yeah. Spanish and the Portuguese and the Dutch and the English... All had, pooped. Well, they did, but they, there was an era, the 14th, 15th, 16th century, when boat building uh, developed to the stage where they could actually get around and, and find was around the and, corner. And you mentioned one word there, Chris, who were the probably the world's greatest explorers up to a point, were the Dutch. Oh, yeah. Because they, they had already come down and they'd gone to Indonesia. It was Dutch Indonesia and they had gone around. They'd actually sailed across the, um, from around from Cape Town at the, at the bottom of Africa and got into the Roaring Forties and they would scoot across the Southern Ocean then turn left up the coast of West Australia, and that's how some of them ran aground oh, in WA. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. many years in 1600s before um, Cook ever came anywhere near the place. Uh, you can almost Aborig- hear them because they go thud, and one guy says, "Oh, I think we've run aground." And the other one says, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> true, <laughs> <He> says, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah." But uh, even the northern parts of Australia were explored by. The Indonesians mm, and yeah. the Chinese. Yeah, that's right. The they Chinese were great explorers around um, that area. And that's why there is quite a few influences in uh, Aboriginal concepts in the northern parts of Australia that can be linked back to the, the concepts that were in Asia over that time. But could you imagine the state of the north coast of Australia centuries ago? They'd come in here looking for some kind of resource or somewhere to stay. It wouldn't have been a good sail. Oh, no. It's like, but where's all the water? Mm. Why is it just sand? What's going on up here? <laughs> where's yeah. the nearest motel? That's right, yeah. But see, it was on it, on the 15th of November in 1769 that Captain Cook, on his way back from uh, looking at um, the this transit of Venus or something rather in the in Tahiti, south-east, south, the South Pacific, 
that he came uh, uh, ran 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 into New Zealand and discovered New Zealand. Like it had been there all the time, but he was mm. he, he decided to run into it, and um, he 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 took possession of it as a as a British. Yeah, went and um, planted the flag. Yeah. Well, uh, I wish that it was so easy to walk around and just stick your your family flag in somewhere and say, "Oh, it's mine." Mine. Yeah. No, somewhat yeah. presumptuous. Yeah, that's oh, right. I but, like this but, one. But then he sailed on and... and yeah, but um, the Maoris were already there, so the right. cheeky bugger. Was, well, well, they came into Australia we, as well. Was that the born to rule yeah, concept? Well, is that imperialism? Well, it is, of course. That's, that's one oh, of the well, things. Oh, that's still going then. Yeah, but see the... Um, but then he sailed on and, and um, sighted Australia and went up the, mm. the east coast of Australia and took possession of that for the um, British crown. Yeah. The, who, uh, Fortunately, New Zealand uh, decided that they wanted to do their own thing. Well, they became a separate colony, uh, no longer administered by New South Wales in in eighty forty in eighteen forty. So there was a little bit of sensibility came into the process at that stage. Yeah, because but, they had been a colony of New South Wales, mm, they were classified as, and then they decided to split. So they became their own country, basically, of New Zealand. In 1642, round about the 24th of November, uh, Abel Tasman uh, discovered Tasmania. Heavens, heavens, heavens! He didn't discover it. It was there said. all the time. Well, no, he discovered it was there. He, 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 was, he didn't invent it. He didn't invent it or what? But it, it. it had been there but for thousands of years. The, yes. the Dutch imperial attitude was okay, and now it's Van Diemen's Land. Mm, you named it after the Governor General of uh, Indonesia or somewhere. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That was Van Diemen. It was hiding in plain view, wasn't it? That's exactly right. And so was Australia for all that time yeah. too until it was discovered. Can you but imagine the, Cook going up the east coast of Australia and it just never finishing? Because he wasn't in the speedboat. They no. were going, you know, walking pace up the coast. That's right. And, they, and they after had, a while, after a few weeks, you must think, this thing's never ending. And they ran aground up in Queensland and they had to... Well, you get sick of sailing after a yeah, while. Yeah, they, they ran the coral had reefs. To be, and they got holes. what was the name of the town? That's Careening now? Bay was the no, name. No, 1770. 1770 is the name of the town. the name of the town, yeah, where it happened, yeah. Not Shipwreck Cove or anything no, like that, no. not anything piratical. Then they sailed up and they went round the top of, Australia, top of Australia and through what was then called the Torres Straits after one of the Dutch explorers as well. Yeah. yeah. They had already gone through there and named the place. But the best thing that happened to Australia happened in 1926 because it was on the 15th, uh, no, what was it, the 20th of November in 1926 that the uh, Imperial Conference in, in Britain gave Australia the state of self-governing dominion to, uh, equal to the British Great Britain. Yeah. But, with the, but the only thing was that the, even though we had had the Constitution since 1901, we still had to go back to the British government to do anything. Uh, they, we couldn't choose our well, own state governors like or governor generals no. or anything. They were, they were appointed from England. They all were English appointments. Who were the Privy Council? The Privy Council was the highest council you could go to. It was higher than the High Court of Australia. But it was in England. It was in England. That's where, that's where you would take your yeah. uh, final go at something. If you couldn't get it through the High Court, if the High Court didn't work, you could then yeah. take it onto the Privy Council. So we don't do that anymore? We don't do, do we? that anymore, no, because that, changed, that, that rule changed a bit later again. But 1926, 
as it's it seems 26 years after we became a country. Well, I suppose a though it's a concept. Of, oh well, we've created these children. Now they've uh, got to their 21st birthday. I suppose we've got to give them the key to their own door. Blah blah blah. Untie uh, the apron strings. Um, no, we yeah. might have been one of those annoying kids that kept saying why. Why? Are we there yet? Yeah, are, are we, we there, there yet? yet? Yeah. yeah, but you you can't appoint him. Why? <laughs> but so, all right, then you can appoint him. But it's Why? just a, it's just a, a it, it's unbelievable that that sort of thing went right up until then, 1926, and that's 26 years after we became the Commonwealth of Australia with our own constitution. But that's the Australian attitude, though. Like you know, like laissez-faire. Well, she'll be right. She'll be right. Yeah, yeah, we don't need to govern ourselves because you know it sort of ain't broken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we then in 1975 it kind of broke. And now, and now we find that it's, it's still having effect here because of in our parliament. If you're not, if your parents haven't um, rescinded their uh, nationality to Great Britain or any other country, you can't sit in parliament. You know, it's still it's still having an effect on us. So, uh, yeah, rewrite it's, the it's constitution a, is what right. I it's say. A work in progress. Indeed, you're with Gordon, Phil, and Chris. Been there, done that. Joy, ninety four point nine. Stay tuned, there's more. You can find more Joycasts and show blogs. Go to joy.org.au. You've been there, done that. Joy 94.9, Chris, Phil, and Gordon. Yes. Now, wow. one, one of the things that impressed me over the past week or so, I think it was last week yes, sometime, Gordon. was the return of Mungo Man to Lake Mungo, where he'd lain for 42,000 years. Now, hold on. I- the backstory, please. The backstory. Well, Mungo Man was found um, in in the 30, 1930s, I think it was, uh, by a man riding a motorbike. He was a bit of a scientist. He was riding a motorbike through Mungo Lake, Lake Mungo, and um, he saw some bones, and he stopped, and he went back to Canberra, where he was from, and he reported the fact that he'd seen these bones there. He marked it very carefully, and the archaeologists went out and found the bones. And when they were they were carbon dated or whatever they do these days, they were found to be forty two thousand years old. So it sort of put, they it, they felt that the um, indigenous people had been here for something like about. 25,000 years or something or other but he was here 42,000 years ago and now they've found other um, artifacts and things from the indigenous communities that were here to suggest that it may have been 75,000 years ago than when they were here so but how did the bones end up in London well, they didn't end up in London. They didn't end up in Canberra. Oh, so they didn't go as far as no, thought. they didn't go as far as London. Okay. Some some bones went but to London, but they have been brought back as well. They had a huge um, ceremony to replace the bones where Mungo Man was actually buried originally. But I can't see what gives anybody the right to remove skeletal remains well, from this, a burial site. Well, this is what the uh, the indigenous community and and the Aboriginals from up in that area were arguing, they argued for something like about 40 or 50 years to get the bones, uh, the, the, the remains of Mungo Man back to where he should be. And so that, that just shows the white man's disrespect, doesn't it? It, it is a disrespect. Our science is more important than your yeah, heritage. that's right, yeah. And, it's, and the number of things that were, were taken back by the early uh, British explorers and what have you to, to the British Museum and everything, mm. where there's a huge collection of um, ab- Aboriginal um, artifacts. Well, and, they've, and they've got things. a record, though, haven't they? Ask the Egyptians yeah. about the English Museum. Well, yeah, yeah. that's and another form of imperialism. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. We know best. We know. But it was just such a wonderful thing. I just, well, mm. I, I just, I, I would have loved to have been there, quite frankly, because those sort of things, being uh, of such great history and historic moment, 
that I, I like well, those sort of things. Well, just to clarify, you wanted to be there 42,000 years ago? Well, I would have been a bit old by now, wouldn't I? probably wouldn't be chattering here you on Joy. wouldn't be going on about Australia Day then, would you? No. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing, and I think I think it's it's just wonderful that the, the, um, the people up there have been able to take back uh, Mungo Man. We don't know what his name was, so he's referred to as Mungo Man, to the rightful place where he belongs after all those years. And there are protocols and procedures and processes that are known to the current generations that connect them straight back to Mungo Man. That's right. And he is to be afforded the respect and honours that would be given to uh, uh, someone of the current mob. This is right, yes. They're relative. It was brilliant that what they did, they took him back in the Aboriginal hearse. That had been there's a special car that was made here for Victorian um, Indigenous people to be taken back to their their country after they'd passed away, but it fell into a bit of disrepair, and they put it in um, some car museum. I'm I, I'm not sure mm. exactly where it was, but they re- they renovated it up to its to way it should be, and they drove it up to Canberra to be able to take Mungo Man back to. Uh, Mungo Lake, Lake Mungo in, in the Aboriginal hearse, which wow. I thought was rather wonderful too. Another completely irrelevant thought, but the Fletcher Jones factory in Warrnambool yes. is becoming a car museum. Is it? Oh, yes. Right, okay, oh. thank you. And the gardens are all at their, their the best. Beautiful, beautiful gardens. Oh, they yes, were yeah. wonderful, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's um, anyhow, good, good on the people from up in Lake Mungo area, the tribes that are up there and, and getting back there their ancestors. Yeah, it's, mm. it's really lovely. And May we treat them better in future. Well, yes. that's right. Yes, yeah, yeah. We he have might to. be 40,000 or 70,000 years old, but he was uh, of yesterday's generation, that's which right. is not very far removed from their concept of, of life mm. and country. Was, that's it, right. was it Peter Sellers who had his tombstone said, I no. told you I was sick? No, no. that was um, uh, 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 from, the, from the goons. The other one from the goons, Spike Milligan. Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you should say, like, I told you I was from here. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah um, but good luck. People and Places. Um, there was a film that was set in a particular place which is iconic in itself, and that was the film The Sound of Music, set in Salzburg. Oh. Now, Salzburg really means salt, salt, salt yes. mountain. Yes, because in that's fact, where it really should have been Sugar Mountain because that film was so schmaltzy. You realise that that was where the Romans used to get the salt to pay their salaries, which salary means salt. That's the word of salary comes from the word salt. That Saline. They used, be, they used to be paid in salt. Salt, yes. That's how they were paid. Mm. Well, if the Titanic had run into salt <laughs> instead of ice, Ox. it might have survived. <laughs> <laughs> You've, yeah, you've been to uh, Salzburg. I did the Victor- I, I did the Sound of Music tour, and I had never ever seen Sound of Music. Oh. And the gazebo that they showed you was sort of broken and tumbling down, and it was. It, they showed you where they were the lake sort of thing, and they said that they had built two houses and they were taken down. It was, and I happened to wander into a beautiful church, and it was just absolutely magnificent. I went in to look at the artwork. I, I used I, while I was touring Europe in '76. I was looking at all the art work you know and um when i got back on the bus i said to the guide i said oh i found that beautiful church up the road there da, da, da. he said oh that's where they got married and oh, everybody right. nobody else in the bus saw it terrible tour did you, <laughs> did you see a tiny goat herd 
No, I did. I saw a big one. Oh. But but can I get You've back? Got to be careful how you say that. Yeah. Can I, get, can I get back to something else that happened here in Australia? Oh, apropos of uh, the inland, Flynn of the inland. Dr. He, Dr. Flynn, Flynn, who started the a, Royal Flying Doctor Service. Yeah, now he, he was a church minister. He was the Reverend John Flynn, and he was 25th to 11th, 1880. He was born, yeah. yeah. And he founded the Royal Flying Doctor Service. He realised that the people in the outback needed medical attention. But so. he did that sometime after he was born, though. Not oh yeah, a little, day. little after. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He was a Presbyterian minister, and part of the, that church's charity was to uh, set up this system, and it was part of the inland missions mm. of Australia, That's Australian right. inland mission. So they went out there, and they tried to convert people to Christianity. That was okay. That was part of them, but they also taught the the locals out there and gave them medical support and things like this. But as the age of aviation was coming upon on the world, he saw that flying into the remote communities was a far better way of doing it than try to drive camels or to drive cars or go there on motorbikes. Well, so by then they'd had pedal weight, pedal radio or whatever it was, yeah. you know. But he realised that you needed to get doctors there, so he prevailed upon an aviator to um, take the first doctor out, and uh, from that the FDNS started. It's wonderful. And it's marvellous that nowadays with digital connections, you can actually have remote doctors conducting some operations or certainly examinations remotely from mm, that's the patient right. yeah, yeah. and they don't even need to fly there these no, days. But, they, but if they need to bring the person out... They can get in there with an air ambulance and bring them home, yeah. bring them back out, yeah. The, the world is shrinking. Next it'll be drones. Next it'll be drones, Just yes. Put your hand up and it'll carry you to hospital. <laughs> oh no, we've got eagles. What do that? Nah. Yeah, but you get to deliver pizza and stuff from it, Amazon and all sorts of stuff. Oh, thank you, Phil. <laughs> I, oh, I don't. I don't want to even to contemplate that, Phil. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. It's all coming. right. Yeah. Oh well, right. it's about time for us to say that it, we're going. Oh, we're going. Are we leaving? Well, it's time for us to part. Depart. Yes, we scare them and leave. <laughs> all right. Okay. <laughs> Thanks very much for being with us. Yes. Uh, We'll be back next week. I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about. But, of course, once again, it'll be based on history, which is what we like to do in this show. Or something um, that's happened in the week that between precisely, shows. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes well, things happen out of the... There political developments. Oh, yeah. Because we've got this, this egg in Canberra. What is hatching? It's got to hatch before Christmas. Yeah, well, they, mm, they, it I, turns into a big joke. Yeah, I mean, no. I, I think they've got to pass this bill, and then if they want to go with religious freedoms, make other bills next year about that. Precisely. Yeah, I agree. Or get the church to lock its doors. Then okay. we can't get in. Well, <laughs> how many churches can't you get married in if you're yeah, divorced or something or other? This whole thing is Thanks rubbish. very much indeed. <laughs> Bye for now. Bye. Bye. This Joycast is a free service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.